Welcome to Equestrian Movement's Fast Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our first Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling, and husbandry, or an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today we're talking to Claire McLeod from Claire McLeod Horse Nutrition, Health and Fitness. We're going to dig into the somewhat confusing and sometimes overwhelming conversations around equine nutrition. Some of the information that we're going to be digging into might feel a little bit heavy and dense <laughs> for some of you, uh, for me in particular. <laughs> now, our conversations go in all different directions around the different aspects that Claire investigates when she's working with her clients around improving their horse's health through nutrition. Claire is an independent registered equine nutritionist with expertise in equine health and fitness and provides consultancy to horse owners, managers, vets and the horse feed industry. So if you think that that's something that you might like some help with, we're going to have all the links to the um, ways that you can work with Claire in the show notes and all of her socials. She has some really interesting conversations, especially on Facebook. So without further ado, let's kick off the first part of our conversations with Claire. Hi Claire, I'm so excited for you to join us on our podcast today. Uh, Would you be able to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Oh hi Katie, thank you ever so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here having a chat with you today. So I'm what's classed as an independent equine nutritionist and that means that I'm not attached to a feed or supplement company. So it also means that I can tell the truth (laughs) and the whole truth. (laughs) Um, So in terms of what I actually do, it's very varied. I work with horse owners, with vets. I do some commercial work for companies. Um, I go out and do lectures sometime. I mean, everything and anything, anything to do with horse nutrition and with a side of sort of welfare, fitness and health. Magic. Uh, So we've got quite a few questions for you to unpack today that I've got I've sifted through I'm really excited to hear um, what an independent equine nutritionist is going to say about it because we all know what the um, you know the the different brands and whatnot love their work Um, so let's start out with talking about supplements versus a balanced diet that's a big one (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, and it's well, now where do you start with that? Because 
<laughs> it's a funny subject in terms of how horse owners perceive what a supplement is, because supplements can be absolutely essential to balance the diet if they're like a vitamin, a mineral or a mineral product, or even sometimes like a vitamin E product to, to, to balance the diet. But they can also be therapeutic supplements that are meant to affect the health of the horse that don't affect the balance of the diet at all. So, of course, if we're feeding correctly, you you always have to balance the diet first, that there is no point in adding a therapeutic supplement based on herbs or oils or any other nutraceuticals or ingredients if you haven't got the balanced diet. Because the whole, obviously, the whole point of a balanced diet is to deliver all the essential nutrients that horse needs. Now, I say the word obviously, but I, be, I must be careful because I sometimes forget I'm in just completely entrenched in nutrition. It's all I do. I'm very passionate about it. I love it. So I forget that actually sometimes it's not always obvious to horse owners what a balanced diet is or what it means and why adding a therapeutic supplement might not be the answer to the health challenge that you have with your horse. So that's a really good differentiation to make. You get the diet balanced first with all the essential nutrients, and that might well mean including a vitamin and mineral supplement or product. And only at that point would you then look at adding a, a health a health promoting therapeutic type of supplement. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Love it. So um can we talk about what a balanced diet looks like? I'm I know that's hard because we have so many different horses with so many different requirements. Um it kind of well all of the questions are going to kind of be along the same lines, but obviously like there's the complexity to them as well. So as we dig in, like, um, you know, saying saying things like a balanced diet, obviously you know what a balanced diet is, but you're not going to say X, Y, Z is a balanced diet because you need to look at each horse as an individual because each horse is going to have a different balanced diet look. <laughs> Can you give us any like parameters to work within that we should be looking for for what a balanced diet looks like? Yes, and it's a good question, isn't it? Because nutrition is one of these things that you can kind of make it as complicated as you want. If you look at nutrition science, it's incredibly complex, you know, highly scientific. You have to understand biochemistry, physics. I mean, it make most horse owners head blow in a few minutes. I, you know, if I, if I wanted to go back to nutrition science research and away from the more sort of dietitian work I do, I probably have to do quite a few catch up courses because it is an incredibly scientific, complex subject. However, that doesn't mean to say that we can't simplify it to the point where we can actually give our horses a really good, good nutrition without actually having to know about all the science. You can do both. So if you're looking for parameters for a balanced diet, then I guess I tend to try and explain that by by starting with energy balance. Energy is not a nutrient, but it's a really key part of a balanced diet. It's the bit you can see, is your horse too fat or are they too thin? And that's what tells you whether energy balance is correct or not. And then after you've looked at energy, you go into what we would class as the essential nutrients. Um, I can list them, but we'll talk about energy a little bit first. So energy is the most important factor because that can lead to really quite marked health problems in the horse. And it's quite an easy, well, hmm, it's an easy one to manage in theory, but it's quite difficult in practice. So energy balance just basically means that your horse 
receives the correct amount of energy for a maintenance of body fat level, meaning that if they're slim and healthy, then the amount of energy they take in maintains that body fat level. So if they have an excess of energy intake, they'll lay down fat and get fatter. And if they have a deficiency of energy intake, they'll get slimmer. Now, that sounds really obvious, but there's a lot of horse owners that aren't aware that really that's the only thing that affects body fat is that energy intake. And I tend to use the word calorie intake. Uh, it's kind of getting more widely used in horse owners across the, the globe now, just because it helps, I think, to get us thinking about dietary energy rather than express energy in the horse, you know, how fast they want to go. We tend to use the word energy in horses to mean how forward going they are, or at least in the UK we do. Is it yeah. the same in Australia? Yeah. 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 And that's completely different to energy in their diet, unless they're being underfed when it might affect their forwardness. But their expression in terms of the behaviour is really quite different to dietary energy. And that's why I tend to use the word calories. Um, to just talk about dietary energy and how much they need. So, Like I say, that's an easy one for owners to assess because you can see it if they need more energy you'll see them, they'll, they'll get too slim, they'll lose the body fat. If they have too much energy in the diet, which is an ongoing issue in many parts of the world for us, especially with our leisure horses, they just get too fat and that's them storing excess energy that they didn't need. So that, that's the balance in terms of their energy intake. And then once you've, once you've kind of got your head around that, then you'd be looking at the essential nutrients and we can look at them in five groups. I don't want to complicate this too much. I'll, I'll list the groups and then I'll tell you afterwards how, how you can think about it from an actual practical diet point of view. Because not all owners want to get into learning about macronutrients and micronutrients. And that's fine. You don't have to understand all that to feed well. But your first group would tend to be the carbohydrates. That includes fibre, sugar, starches, uh, fruit grass, fructan. There's all... So it's a massive group of nutrients, carbohydrates. Next group is protein. Um, the next one, I'm going to make sure I don't miss any out, are fats and oils. <laughs> Tend to be oil in the horse's diet, liquid fats. And then you've got vitamins and minerals and water. So that's kind of like your five groups. Your protein, so your carbs, your protein, your oils, your vitamins and minerals, and your water. And anybody that studied nutrition at school will that'll mean something to them, you'll, they'll remember that. The carbohydrates are a little bit misunderstood sometimes because a lot of a lot of people that write, and actually even some of the scientists use the term carbs to mean sugars and starches, but that's not correct. That includes fibre, which the horse has a, a need for much more so than humans or other animals. Um, but that's your five groups. So it's, it's getting the intake of all of these correct for that individual horse that gives you a balanced diet. Now, <laughs> actually then relates into how you practically offer that to your horse. I'm going to talk about that more because not everybody, as I say, wants to really know more about all these groups of nutrients and why they're essential. That's a subject for another time. But in terms of parameters for actually how you assess your horse, then the best way of looking at it is to think about your carbohydrates in terms of, one, is your horse having enough fibre, which is really important for its mental health and its gut health? Um, or their mental health and their gut health. I don't like the word it's for horses, so I shouldn't use it. I'm getting into science teacher mode. And secondly, just making sure that the non-structural carbs, so the sugar, starch and grass fruit tan are controlled. 
They don't always need to be low, but they need to be controlled for some horses and ponies. So that's splitting your carbs into that fiber and non-structural or sugar starch fructose. And that's, they've got to be balanced as well, these, these two lots of nutrients, enough fiber and controlled non-structural carbs. Then you've got your protein. That's a more tricky one, actually, for owners to balance in their horse's diet if they're on specialist diets. So for a regular diet that contains at least sort of 75% grass forage, so pasture grass or grass hay, you don't need to worry too much. But when you start soaking hay or restricting pasture, then getting the protein balance is a bit more of a challenge. Your next, I'm kind of racing through these just to save from spending too long on them, but the, the next group are the vitamins and minerals. That's one of the easiest groups to adjust, and that's a group of nutrients that's really important for the horse because if you don't supply the correct balance of the vitamins and minerals, they can end up with deficiencies, but much later down the line. You don't tend to see these early on, but you might see an increased risk of health problems for the horse later in life. So that's a key group to, to get correct as well. And then you've got water, which is, again, not classically a nutrient, but it's just as important. So, so these, are, these are kind of all your essential nutrients, the correct amount of carbs, the correct amount and quality of protein, the correct amount of oil, the vitamins and minerals, and the correct access to water. We can simplify that further when we think about practical feeding. But when we're talking about a balanced diet, all we're doing is ensuring that our horse has the essential nutrients they need every day without an overall loss or gain. Yeah, beautiful. Love it. So good. <laughs> Super clear. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you were talking about with regard to energy. And I'm pulling this one, um, I'm pulling most of these specifically from things that you've spoken about previously in your posts and whatnot. <laughs> um that have I've been oh yeah I want to learn more about that <laughs> so um energy versus sugar so obviously that's what you were talking a, a little bit about there with the carbohydrates and um recognizing that your horse has enough energy uh we in Australia have very different terrain to probably a lot of other places where we're quite barren. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be like super naive to what you guys experience over there, especially with like lush green pastures. I couldn't even know <laughs> what that would be. Like. Um, so what kinds of things are we looking at that we're going to find sugar in? Yeah, it's a good question. I suppose it does vary depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the grass is always greener, as they say, <laughs> on the other side. But I think sometimes this lush grass that we have in our green and pleasant land here in the UK is a horse owner's nightmare. Yeah. Because it just, I'll, I'll get onto your, the, the grass question in just a moment. But the, the challenge with it, it's just so palatable for horses. I think that's the thing. And, and, it's, and it's just like, it's like us going to a town having an eat all you can buffet. It, the food's just all there. They haven't really got to search for it. Um, and this is the challenge that we have in the UK and why so many of our horses and ponies are obese. I don't think it's because people are overfeeding bucket feed. It's because we've got such good forage. So um, but going back to your question on sugar, it's a tricky one because you would assume that the green lush grass is the highest in sugar. But that's actually not the case. Um, 
And pasture or sugar content can vary quite widely depending on all different parameters like weather and soil and where you are in the world and season. You just you never really want to assume if in any doubt, I'd say it's probably worth analysing. It's not particularly useful to analyse pasture because it's only a snapshot and it can change radically depending on rainfall, etc. But you, you never want to assume that because of dried up pasture or yellow pasture is low in sugar. And this has actually applied to us just recently in the UK. We've had a, a drought for us, yeah. very little rain, and everything kind of has gone yellow and it looks a bit like Spain or maybe even Australia. But that doesn't mean to say there's nothing left in the grass. and doesn't mean to say there's no sugar in the grass. Of course, it depends on the grass species as well. But if we're thinking about sugar and where it comes from in the horse's diet, generally forages are the main source of sugar for the horse. Again, a lot of owners might think it would be sweet feed or you know bucket feed, but that's usually a quite a small portion of the total sugar. Of course, it depends how much you feed. If you have horses on very little forage and half their diet is in a bucket, then that might be a significant supplier of sugar. But for most horse owners that are feeding most of their horses' diet as forage, whether that's conserved forage like hay or haylage, wrapped forages, or pasture grass anywhere in the world, most of the sugar will actually come from the forage. And, you know, we could speak for hours about forage and sugar content because it's going to vary so widely depending on so many factors. I think the main takeaway for owners is don't really try to avoid making assumptions about sugar in forages. So, for example, there's this big myth in the UK, probably applies to certain areas in Australia, although, again, it depends on, you know, how how green or not your pasture is Mm -hmm. or how consistent your pasture is. In, In the UK, we have variable weather so we can often have very lush grass at certain times of the year and not so other times or it can get dried out but the key factor is how much the grass the horse can eat really rather than the amount of sugar in a certain amount of grass so probably not so relevant to Australia but certainly it is to New Zealand and UK a lot of owners think that meadow old-fashioned or meadow pasture is better for horses than cultivated sort of fertilized managed pasture but that's not always the case because meadow pasture can be very high in sugar. Broad-leaved plants, so what gardeners would call weeds, but what horse owners might call a, a good diverse pasture, they can be higher in sugar than grasses, plantain and dandelions, things like that. So we have to be really careful about how we how we assume how much sugar is in the horse's forage. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good question, this energy versus sugar, because it is quite misunderstood. And interestingly, I've literally, this isn't just a promo push. I've literally just been writing a piece of content for my Equine Nutrition Learning Centre about what's important for an overweight horse, protein, oil or sugar. And actually, of course, none of them, because, or at least all of them, but none of them, because the answer is energy or calories. So we must be careful not to mix up sugar and energy. In that, some of the a, a low sugar feed doesn't necessarily mean to say it's a low calorie feed or low energy feed. So, for example, vegetable oil is the lowest sugar feed you can feed. It's got no sugar in it at all, but it's the highest energy or the highest calorie. So not suitable for an overweight horse. Um, and also a high sugar feed might not necessarily be a high calorie or a high energy feed, although it would tend to be, but not guaranteed. So you have to just really think about this quite a lot, not just make assumptions. And I think the energy sugar 
confusion comes from the correct assumption that an overweight horse or pony with metabolic issues that has maybe hyperinsulinemia or high insulin levels and prone to laminitis and, and very obese, they need a low sugar diet as well. But a low sugar diet is not necessarily going to cause fat loss. You have to have a calorie deficit for that. So a low energy diet, low calorie diet to get the body fat levels down. So you have to be careful not to assume, make assumptions between energy and sugar intake or just focus so much on sugar intake that you forget or you don't realize that for body fat loss, you have to reduce energy intake. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, perfect. That's absolutely Wonderful. You know, when I was learning a very superficial, like, um, nutrition training to be a coach, my coach taught me it's like when you're working out feed, it is very much um, an art and a science. Like you can go into all of the science of it, but then you just kind of got to look at the horse and see if the horse is responding to it. So yeah, our, our bare, our bare minimum is, um, you know, what does your horse look like? (laughs) Does it look good? Um, and then, so that's your maintenance feed. (laughs) And then if your horse is doing more work than that, then we need to think about how we're going to up the energy intake to match their energy output. And so there, you do need to understand that it's going to be um, a combination of things that we're going to add to the diet to create that. So um, it's really interesting because like here in Australia, we we up oil quite a bit because we have underweight horses that are hard to feed. (laughs) Whereas I can imagine, you know, if you have like access to, so much free food <laughs> you're you're trying to reduce that calorie intake and you're trying to cut back on those kinds of things yeah and- then that, that's a good point I have to be very careful I mean even relative to the UK not to harp on too much about always weight loss weight loss weight loss <laughs> because of course there are <laughs> those different countries like you say where that's not your issues and there's also horses in this country in the UK with poor appetites or other issues teeth for example that still need that so let's talk a little bit about that but first of all it's music to my ears to hear you say about your instructor or your trainer your coach telling you to just look at the horse and that it is an art and a science that's just really important I think if you think of the word nutrition it's just so easy to try and get really uh what's the word sort of official and textbook about it especially if you do learn a little bit about nutrition and and you're fascinated by it, and then you start using people's nutrient requirements, you can really, you can really kind of get way off piste doing that, even though your intentions are good and it's great that someone's learning more about it, but you can really get it wrong by doing that. So the science is, is a good foundation, but that art of looking at the horse and assessing the individual is so, so important. And in, in no more of an area than energy intake. Because if you try and use energy intake textbook values, you'll get it completely wrong. You have to look at the horse in front of you and how they're changing. So that's a really key point. And it's, it's lovely to hear that, that um, you were taught that because that's so important. And there's a lot of owners that I work with who are really quite well educated in horse care, health, nutrition. 
but often they'll forget to assess the horse in front of them. They'll be looking at their pasture and the time of year and making adjustments. But their horses gradually, gradually got fatter and fatter or thinner and thinner because they've been so busy doing what they think they should. They've forgotten to actually just pop a weight tape around the horse, which might not tell you the weight, but it'll tell you a lot about what, how the body fat's changing. So I've got off the point of your final question, but I think that was an important point to remember. That's a real key factor of nutrition is to just monitor your horse and remember that um, the, book textbook, the textbook might be telling you they should have this, but they might be telling you something different. <laughs> Yeah, it's so tricky when they're in your backyard and you're looking at yeah. them every day and you're like, oh, have they lost yeah. weight or have they gained weight? What are we doing? What are we up to? Is that a rib or are you just like pretending that you're skinny so you can get more feed out of me? <laughs> no, that's a really good point. And it'd be nice to come on to that actually once we've, once I've answered the question you just asked. <laughs> this is what happens. I go off on all these tangents. But you asked about the weight gain side of things. Um, that's, a really important one because like I say it's easy to just serve there's all these people with these overweight horses but it's just as important and it can be a, almost a bit more frustrating if you've got a horse that's underweight because <laughs> although it's hard work to keep the fatter one slim you can't force a horse to eat mm. so I'd say that if you've got if you've got either an underweight horse or a horse whose workload is increasing and you know that their normal diet that they have at the moment will not support that extra exercise the energy requirements or the increased energy requirements of that exercise then first of all, number one important aspect of a balanced diet for them is to try and get as much energy and other nutrients as you can out of forage. Now, I know that's not always possible if you've got very poor pasture or none mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've got relatively poor hay and you don't have any choice, then you might well have to supplement in the bucket quite a lot. But if you have the choice, it's worthwhile getting as many nutrients as possible for your horse out of forage. And the reason for that is because basically that's what they're designed to eat. That's what their body, their mind, their guts, the rest of their body is is most well adapted to utilising. And you'll end up with less health challenges and just basically a healthier, happier horse if you can get as many nutrients as possible out of forage. Yeah, beautiful. It's definitely been um, really good for us at the school not just for the horses, but for the the land as well, is just having them on 24-7 access to round bales because they just eat as much as they need and then what they don't eat regenerates the ground and and holds, you get like all erosion problems and then we have sand colic and all of those kind of problems here. So it's like helps to hold the ground together and regenerates the ground as well as making sure that the horses have as much as they need with regard to to forage yeah and actually that's that's your second thing apart from trying to select forage which is the highest nutrient possible the next thing is to make sure they have it ad lib so as much as they'll eat yeah you don't want to be limiting forage to a horse that needs the energy unless they're they're not eating their bucket feed and they're very thin or there's always yes (laughs) depends with nutrition but it's because I've worked with individual horses and owners for so many years now two decades that I've come across so many cases and you think you know what you're doing and then (laughs) (laughs) a horse comes along to teach you some more so I think the reason I have so many yes buts is that there's always an individual that's taught me to to never have rules I suppose so there there is a case sometimes for not just going for this ad lib free choice Mm -hmm. if the horse is losing weight or isn't gaining or isn't able to maintain weight through exercise 
and you actually really need them to eat what you're giving them in the bucket. And you're right about the oil. That's, I'm jumping back again now. But vegetable oil can be a really useful way to supply a very dense amount of calories, energy, without overloading them with starchy grain, because that's your main challenge with feeding a horse with higher energy requirements is if you use grain, which is a very good palatable, kind of readily accessible source of extra nutrients and energy, you have to just watch you overload them with starch, which can cause health problems. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So good. Love it. We actually have, um, you know, one of my students' horses has been really, really struggling with weight for a couple of years now. And um, we just changed dentist and dentist had left giant hooks at the back and um, all of the ulcers in the back of the mouth. Uh, And it was a a trusted vet, but the new dentist that we had in to do it said that because they were using the power tools and because the horse's jaw was so narrow, they wouldn't have been able to get the power tool to the back to get the hooks at the back and you needed an actual smaller file and since we've had that dentist in his weight is just like come on super easily and it's just you know it's so frustrating that you can feel like you're doing all the right things and the horses aren't responding and so sometimes you know the people that we put the trust in sometimes we have to just like maybe try somebody different just to just to see (laughs) just to see if there's something happening there Oh, yeah, That's super it. challenging. So just gonna, I can comment on that. It's a shame because, you know, you like you say, you kind of have to trust these professionals. But unfortunately, this is not a story I've heard only once. And I think that if you, well, two things. Number one, dental issues or an inability to chew correctly is probably the number one cause of unthriftiness or lack of the ability to maintain weight if the horse is fed well and fed correctly. That's the most important thing to check is their teeth. And then number two, yeah, absolutely, I would agree with you. If you, if in doubt, get a second opinion. And I often say to clients with horses who's, who are struggling with their weight, if the diet looks good and the owner is, is doing all the right things, to get a second opinion on the horse's teeth, just in case somebody's missed something, yeah. And it's a tricky one because, yeah, some vets or dentists will use power tools and they'll make a good job. Some will not use power tools, but they'll make a good job. So it really does vary. But ultimately, even with a narrow mouth, the practitioner should be reaching in and feeling to check the teeth, really. Yeah, you think so. But, but unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> we've discovered that that particular vet is um, <laughs> has let us down a couple of times now. So it's, yeah. try, it's time to try different vets. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> if you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast, you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you. If you're working with or riding horses, you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be. Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you. Especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. 
This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret sauce behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection and I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.